Ryan Keane here. Hello, and thanks for joining me for another of our acclaimed franchise radio shows. Today's another special one. We managed to get some amazing speakers, and the, the gentleman I've got with me today is someone that uh, is probably one of the most highly qualified and broadly experienced people we've had the pleasure of introducing to you. The title of today's radio show is Want to be a customer-centric business? Here's how. Um, so I'm introducing you shortly to Mark Hocknell. Mark's got 30 years experience as a management consultant, working with around 100 odd organizations and uh, spent another 15 years in senior management roles. So broadly, broadly experienced. He's a, a seasonal um, or sessional, I should say, academic with Queensland University of Technology in the Graduate School of Business. That includes, uh, as well as roles, de designing and delivering of the postgraduate MBA courses. He's also a member of the Industry Advisory Board of Griffith University School of Business. Um, and basically, in talking to, to Mark, there's two core focus areas in his consulting work, and that's what we're going to delve into today. The first is on the development of customer centricity, which is aligning resources and maximizing business results. Um, he's done that working across many industries and applied these principles to business to business, business to customers, nonprofits, and government departments. So it's very broadly uh, applicable. His second focus is building and leveraging performance measurement frameworks to achieve performance improvement. So that's also, I think, of great interest for all of us in these times when, for some of us, things are a bit difficult at the moment. So he's highly qualified. He's, uh, he's an MBA. Uh, a list of other credits. He's an accredited pump partner for Australasia. That, for those who are not familiar with it, it's performance measurement methodology. He's certified in the Prosky Change Management Method, a Net Promoter Certified Associate, and an accredited Cognitive Edge Facilitation Practitioner. So, Mark, how do you do? Lovely to catch up with you. How are you? Brian, lovely to be here with you, and um, I don't know why, but that introduction made me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can amazing what you can do if you're young and determined, Mark. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so anything you want to add to that uh, bio there that I may have omitted or whatever? No, no, that's all good. I mean, um, I did spend the first uh, 15 years in uh, a corporate role in a financial services group in Australia, and um, that's where I... I really learned this approach to the customer centricity because uh, we were implementing a CRM system in there in the early 2000s and we had to address all those big questions about customers and how you manage them. But um, yeah, that's what sort of led on from that and then got me into the whole, how you do this customer stuff and why it's of value. Right, excellent. Okay, well, look, um, in my course of, um, of, of meeting Mark, actually, he generously gave me a copy of his book, which I'm reading now, and he will be referring to it later on. So he is a, an accomplished author as well, to add to his list of credits. So um, let, let's just get into this terminology, because, um, you know, we all need to get a, get a bit of clarity around it. So you talk about customer centricity. Um, I suppose, first off, what, what does it mean? <laughs> It's a great question because um, most times when people talk about customer centricity, they think it means doing anything and everything for the customer. And from my perspective, it is definitely not that. Mm -hmm. So, Brian, it's important to be customer centric in the way that we plan and think about our businesses because 
behind the revenue that we produce and the sales we make are customers, are those people making all those decisions. So the better that we can understand what drives their decision-making to buy from us, and also today what's critically important is what drives their decisions to be a promoter of what we do, that is be an advocate and tell their friends and family about and all about us, the better then we can influence that decision-making and grow profitable businesses. So to be customer-centric means that you understand your various customer groups, you understand what they value and how they make buying decisions and choices to promote you to others. And this does not mean then doing anything for the customer and being giving everything away. So as I mentioned before, this is something that I really came across uh, working in financial services quite a few years ago now. Uh, but this process and this method that we're talking about has been studied by Harvard Business School and other business schools around the world, including researchers like Forrester. In fact, it was Harvard uh, in research in 2010 that coined the phrase outside in, where their research studied the effect on businesses during the global financial crisis. And they discovered that businesses that were customer centric, and that is they could look at their business from the outside looking in, ah. looking from the customer's point of view into your business and how do your customers see you, those businesses that were outside in, um, rather than looking from the business, looking out, doing things to customers, those businesses were significantly more resilient through the recession and also more successful on a whole range of others, uh, a whole range of measures than other businesses. That's so, fascinating because, um, you know, I've, I've, been a, I've been a great patron and supporter of franchising for many decades. And uh, that just suddenly strikes me that, um, certainly in a contemporary sense, that if you're franchising a business, the first thing you do without using the terminology <laughs> is sharing or using a little bit of your process there of looking at it from an outside pair of eyes yeah. and also analysing in detail who is your, who is your customer, who is your, your, your key avatar that you're looking for. Okay. Yeah. So, and it goes, it can go a little bit deeper than looking at, because we know we talk about avatars and people often create a, a persona of the ideal customer. Um, and I tend to look at it from a slightly different perspective. And that is, you look at those customer groups, there's different types of customer groups, and they could be uh, not necessarily in demographics, but more in the what they value. So people make decisions based on what they value. Mm. So if I, if I become a little bit environmentally conscious, that affects my decisions about what I purchase and how I spend my money um, and a whole range of other things about what we value. And it's based on values that drives many people's behaviours and therefore you'll have, you'll have your potential customer groups that are separated primarily based on what they value as people rather than um, what, they're trying to, what they're trying to achieve or what they're trying to get out of it themselves. So what I mean by that is, um, if you're talking, if you've just mentioned franchisees, if you came across someone who wanted to be a franchisee just to make money and they didn't care about what they were doing, uh, the value that person places on just making money would have an impact then on this, I believe, on their success as a franchisee, rather than someone who really wants to, let's say, use Jim's example of 
I really want to get out there and do gardening and mowing all the time. If that's what I love, being outdoors doing that, then they've got the right value set for being an ideal franchisee for gyms and mowing, for example, rather than someone that just wants to make a buck. Right, yeah. Well, that's, that's part of the first steps, I suppose, in Simon Sinek's philosophies with his uh, meaning of why. So, uh, yeah, that all that all all blends in to the same the same the same sort of um, uh, dialogue, I suppose. Yeah, it, it's absolutely sure. And um, we might talk about this a little bit later on. But Simon Sinek's views on the uh, on the why have to fit into our value propositions of how we communicate with our customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so pertinent, certainly in Australia, but also I think across the Western world at the moment, there's a, a significant transition in, I suppose, the general population's line of thought. It's been brought to a focus, I think, because of climate change and a sudden awareness and almost a panic, I think, to the level that now people are taking. But it means that it's not just that, it's awareness socially as well. Um, the, the fact that we're all, you know, we're all e equally valid from the point of view of our points of view and the way people respect us, et cetera. And that's all changing. And I think that that's something that unless you're pivoting your business to really get in the, in the zone as far as that's concerned, then you run a huge risk of actually being outside and, and losing that customer loyalty. I don't want to drag the whole conversation off in a different direction, but to me, it just... It's so pertinent what you're saying today that it highlights the relevance. I, I can't agree with you more. It, I mean, I totally agree with you because um, it's, it's really on point, Brian, because um, looking at you on the Zoom camera here, I think that you and I have been around for a few decades now. And, <laughs> and one of the things that's changed in the last 10 to 15 years is um, this access to information that we all have. And also, we've moved from a, um, a group of people that the economy was driven by consumerism. People got value 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, out of buying stuff and, and consuming products, right? Um, in the last 10, 15 years, that's shifted to more of an experience-based economy where people are looking for the experience that they get from these things rather than the, the consuming of a product. And that is also aligned with what you're talking about is as of the experience for me then is also that I'm fulfilling um, interacting and collaborating with businesses and services that share the same values as me. And once we've got those two things aligned in understanding the customer groups that we're trying to interact with, um, we really do connect with people at a different level these days. And, th and that's where understanding those customer groups really comes into it. Yeah, absolutely spot on. So the few things I've picked up in starting to read your book, I haven't finished it, uh, hands up, I confess, but I have flicked through it and I've picked out a few points. So something that did, did, did uh, catch my eye was um, your idea that you, you're referring to, the two-way value exchange. Um, could you expand on that a bit? That seems appropriate as well. Yeah. So when we're looking at our customers um, and also these different customer groups, splitting them up as we do, um, to me, I, I've always felt a two-way value exchange. And again, I discovered this first uh, back in the financial services days. And then when I got out of financial services, I started to read research, read research about it, 
and also then started to experience it when I was consulting with organizations. And my, my hypothesis is this. I mean, if we track back the history of commerce, and I, for me, I've had to try and I'm curious about things, so I'm constantly diving back into trying to find the, the root of these things. If we track back history of commerce and trade back through time, we see that the early traders and business people established trade and trade partnerships based on relationships and based on a perception of a fair exchange of value. And that means if I produce certain goods and I trade them with things that you produce, Brian, we would agree then on what that exchange is. And we would come up with an agreement about what the fair and reasonable exchange is. Today, it's exactly the same. Uh, we ask people for money, typically, but there's an offer to value to our customers. So we offer value to our customers. Our customers get value from the products they have, from the services they access, from the experience they have, whatever it is, they get value from that. However, they perceive it and it's their perception. And then they perceive that exchange of value and where that perception then drives the customer behavior, whether they repurchase or whether they tell people about the great experience that they've had. So from a business perspective, we need to be ensured to be sure that we are delivering and influencing the perception of value for our customers so that they always see it as good, fair exchange so that they become then profitable customers and they promote us to their network and on social media, which is what is happening a lot these days. So that means having a really good two understanding of the two-way value exchange. That is the value that we as the business gets from the customer and then what the customer gets from us. Now, if value is skewed towards the customer, right? That means that the balance is, is not, it's, not, it's out of balance. The customer is getting more stuff from us and it's costing us to serve them. And this is where I've worked with organizations where they complain about their customers and the customers are you know, cranky and they're demanding and, you know, and it's costing them more to serve the customer than they're getting back. That's where the value exchange is skewed that way. Therefore, if we were to apply a customer strategy to that, we've got to bring that value exchange back into balance so that it's a fair exchange for the business and for the customer. It's the same thing if it's skewed the other way. If the business is, is not getting the value or it's getting more value from customers than what customers perceive that they're getting, then they'll see it as being not fair exchange. And we're seeing those sorts of things these days uh, when people complain about uh, price of uh, insurance products or the price of this or price of that. If they're not getting the value from it, but the price keeps going up, they tend to see that uh, it's not for them. And therefore they become difficult customers to manage and there's no two-way value exchange. So recognizing that two-way value exchange from a business perspective makes sure that we, we meet in the middle, that we get the customers to understand the value they get is in balance with what they're, what they're putting out to us and the business and the customers in it together. So that the smart customer-centric business then learns how to influence the perception of the customer in an ethical manner to, manner to make sure they feel like they are getting that true value. So is that, is that circling back to what periodically has been, you know, the promotion, if you're selling a product, 
you've got to promote the benefits. So is it making the client aware of those benefits? If there are benefits, no matter how, how small, without becoming monotonous about it, um, in making sure the client is aware, so you're educating them as to the value they're getting rather than just making an assumption from the convenience or, or whatever they actually uh, get, get from it. It is, but it's also recognising you're going to have, if you're an existing business, you'll have some customers that are across that value exchange, two-way value exchange, where you might be getting more out of them than what they're getting out of you or vice versa. And it's about recognising where you can bring that into balance because if the customers, if you're getting more out of the customers than they're getting out of you, they'll either leave or they'll become noisy and become more costly for you to manage. Um, if they're on the other side of it where they're getting more value than you're getting, um, you're still losing money. And the whole thing is we still have to be profitable businesses. So we're, we're collaborating with these customers. So the whole idea of sales in the past was to communicate benefits mm. and to keep on telling customer things. Um, I really believe that's changed a lot these days because our customers, okay, so the whole sales model years ago was that salespeople would learn to communicate benefits and, and convince customers of certain things. Whereas these days, uh, before you even engage with a customer or contact with them or being, talk with them anyway, most likely they've already sussed you out on social media. They know how many Google reviews you've got, uh, what people are saying about you. They've read your website. They possibly half read your book and they know what you do. <laughs> and, and therefore, um, they, they're in a completely different context. So back in, you know, before this information symmetry that we have today, where all the information is out there, um, salespeople used to know more about the products and services than the customers. Whereas now, the customers know at least as much as the salespeople and probably more in terms of the other reviews and what other people are saying about that experience or that service or that product. So the symmetry has really shifted to mm. where now it's more in balance. So the salespeople, in my view these days, shouldn't be called salespeople in the first place because the whole idea of selling to a customer is an inside out looking perspective. Mm. Uh, to me, it's far more about if I have a sales group, I'd be calling them the customer engagement group. And how do you engage with customers? And we first engage with customers, as you said before, using Simon Sinek's approach. Let's connect with them on value. You know, what, what do we stand for as an organisation? What, what are our values and what, what are we really about? And therefore, let's connect with those customers on that. And then when we connect with those customers, uh, we understand why they're connecting with us and what they're trying to experience or get from interacting with us. And then we figure out how we can meet their needs. All right. Okay, this is a fascinating topic. I hope everyone's enjoying it. Um, and uh, I'll give you contact details for Mark later because uh, may, you may well have questions you want to raise with him. So, uh, but just adding, or, or moving along a little bit, um, can, you, can you expand a bit on, from your point of view, um, how you go about developing a customer strategy, Mark? Yeah, a customer strategy. I wish I'd come up with a better name for it than this, but um, it, it's pretty much what I call it. So <laughs> it, it's a document that collects our knowledge about our customer groups. Okay, so we identify our customer groups. And then as an organisation, whether a small business, a franchise business, or even a large corporate or whatever it is, 
we need to then have those customer groups and then figure out um, in this document, it was going to record our decisions about our priorities, uh, the outcomes or the results that we expect to receive from working with these customers and to trying to achieve outcomes with those customer groups and also the actions we intend to make progress towards those particular results or outcomes. So the customer strategy then understands uh, these customer groups and it also it builds an understanding of customer value. So too often, um, organizations think about what they do. These are my products as I see it. These are the benefits that come from my products or my services, or this is the experience a customer will have. That's still looking inside out. So quite often um, when we think about the functions or the products and the utility of things that we produce in our products or services, customers get value from those things, which we often don't quite understand. I, I use a model called, called the customer value map, and it really looks at the key elements that come out of the things that we provide as an organization or what customers get from it. So once we understand the customer value map, that's again based on customers' perception of what their benefits are over the costs or sacrifices they have to undergo to achieve those two things. Uh, it gives them the perception of customer value overall. We should be able to figure out that map, uh, understand it in detail, and then possibly do research with our customers, whether it's doing some focus groups or whatever, to understand which ones of those key things that are in there is in the map that are most important to them. And then from that, we can really build better uh, engagement practices that resonate with the customer. So that's one thing that's in the customer strategy. Uh, from that, then we'll have a bunch of decisions that, the, that we'll make as a group and say, we want to grow this portion of these customers or we feel that these customers aren't particularly profitable for us, but we'll interact with them in a particular way that's on a transactional level that might just be okay for us and okay for them. But there's different customer groups that we will interact with. And therefore we might want to change how they interact or reduce their cost to serve or whatever it is. They all become then the strategy piece around each one of those customer groups. And then from that intent of what we're trying to achieve with those customers, we can develop actions that are in support of making progress towards that intent. So the strategy then sits in behind that, that then leads into the actions, but it's all about looking at our customers and those different customer groups and how that group will change and how that adds value to the customer and then brings value back to the business. So it's getting your head around this and this concept and then saying, how do I apply it? So when we look at franchising, I mean, I, I imagine, um, over the years, your your main client base has been larger organisations, um, and and so forth. So in franchising, of course, it's it's a it's a different model, um, and you've got micro businesses really in the main with a lot of the franchisees or the franchise partners, if you like. Um, so, but nevertheless, the franchisors will be a varying scale from fairly newly converted businesses that are growing growing using the franchise model to others. That are out there with hundreds of outlets, for example. So, from your yeah. point of view, um, how do you see a, a franchisor could typically benefit from these sorts of approaches you're referring to, Mark? So, I feel that the franchisors would benefit from developing a customer strategy. So, the better that they can understand their current and potential uh, customer groups, 
that then will become customers of the franchisees, right? The better then that they can work how, how to communicate value and uh, therefore help them create a profitable business. So if a franchisor really understood that two-way value exchange between what the franchisees deliver to customers, they will then be able to manage and keep their franchisees engaged because it's really providing them with good insight around how to interact with the end customers. So we're working with the franchisor or performing, uh, keep them performing on track. The, the franchisor then can use that customer information to then make sure that the franchisees are, are operating at a profitable level so that this in turn can reduce costs then eventually for the franchisor because they've got a better understanding of these customer groups. And then the franchisees are all doing better out of it. And the franchisees at the same time will be adding value for their customers, but the franchisor will also be adding value then for the franchisees through understanding, if you like, that true value exchange between the end customers and franchisees. I also reckon that the franchisor could maintain a what, what I would call a master customer strategy. Mm. And that's for the customers of the franchisees. And again, developing this collective knowledge and understanding of the value that those customers are really enjoying and potentially doing research on those customers to better understand that value exchange and how much they're prepared to pay, where they're getting value, what the whole lot of it. And then that pass on that knowledge to the franchisees will be, I reckon, just pure gold from the perspective of a franchisee because it's giving you the broader picture across those customer groups. And a particular franchisee may have no sight, if you like, of a particular customer group that could be missing. But if the franchisor is looking at it from that master customer strategy perspective, uh, they could be identifying new customer groups or new ways of interacting with various customers and customer groups that will enhance value for the customers and also then enhance value for the franchisees. Yeah, so this, this comes back, one of the first things with, uh, of the concept we share with people when we're talking about franchising to someone that's not familiar with it is that the first thing you have to realise when you franchise is you're actually creating two businesses. <laughs> you've got, exactly. You've got your franchisee or franchise partner and you've got yourself as the franchisor. So you're dividing your business in two and whereas you as a franchisor uh, previously you've dealt with your retail customers, if you like. They yeah. become the customers of your franchisee and your customers are your franchisees. So yeah. they they really have got a they've got a parallel, but they, they've really got two exercises to conduct because their franchisees are looking for obviously totally different outcomes and their yeah. values are different, uh, which comes back to your recruitment, doesn't it? That, that when you recruit the franchisees, you've got to make sure they've got that value system that, that is hopefully so 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 committed from your point of view, from a corporate point of view, because that's what attracts and gives comfort to the uh, to the customer ultimately. Yeah, exactly. And then again, from we talked about having a customer strategy that's got different customer groups in it. The franchisor would have a customer strategy that's got one customer group, which is his franchisees, and they have different value exchange. But I think with the master customer strategy, for example. The, the franchisor is in that view to take that, that higher level helicopter view, if you like, of all those customers out there and start to collect that knowledge and share that knowledge so that the franchisees can get better value from interacting with the right customers and that overall um, 
broader strategy for the organization about how they then connect with customers, retail customers, as you put it. Yeah, look, that's that's what that's what I see the franchise superpowers, as I call them out there, the ones that do it really well. Um, and most of them are the larger groups because they've been doing it for a, a period of time. They're well capitalized. So, I mean, you know, McDonald's are a classic example. I mean, you know, um, in talking to their franchisees, I mean, it's very rare to find one who's not totally happy with what they get, pr- despite the fact they pay a significant investment to become involved. But, uh, but also it goes beyond that. You know, we look at my Australian favorites like... Um, uh, you know, Paul Works and those sorts of people, and uh, hire a hubby. These guys have been around for a long time and they've maintained a lot of their franchisees, you know, for 15, 20 years or more. And I guess that must be because they're giving those franchisees value. Because in, in those service businesses, how easy is it for the franchisee to pack his toolbox, go off and set up doing the same task himself? There's no rocket science as far as cleaning swimming pools and, and they're doing bits of handiwork, you know. Mm. And that comes back to that that concept we talked about before about the two-way value exchange. Yeah. Uh, the people stay in those relationships with who works in higher behavior, like you said, because they perceive that they're getting as much or more value from the franchisor uh, and that's a, it's a balance and they, they're feeling it's a fair exchange. So much to the point where if they went off and did it themselves, um, it would be too difficult. So maintaining that balance in the two-way value exchange with those franchisees as customers, but also then in the end-use customers in the service that they also receive from those franchisees. is It's how the whole balance of it works out. People, people leave, uh, people, customers leave, disappear, when that perception of value is not perceived as fair. And this transition we're going through at the moment, which you drew attention to, and we were talking about a little while back, is an area where there's a lot happening and things like IT are changing dramatically and that has an impact on how you express yourself, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all part and parcel of the sort of the research and development, if you like, the, that the franchisor can, can undertake and give immense value to franchisees to... Uh, to do what I think franchising will be doing in the next five years will be actually stepping ahead of the market even more because they've got access to that amount of research and and so and and and, and data and so on. So um, anyway, not not let me not go, get on my high horse. Let's just say <laughs> so. You you've sort of touched upon this. So this question may 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 be already uh, uh, addressed, but. What I was going to ask you is why do you think the traditional methods of sales are outdated? Is there anything you want to add that we've you've shared already in, in that conversation, Mark? Yeah, I, we did touch on it before about how, but to me, selling uh, or sales, I, I, I actually say to people, I think sales is dead. And when I say sales, I mean sales or selling as it has all traditionally uh, been seen because it's a classic, this is what we do to customers we sell to them whereas we've really got to move to more of an idea of you know how do we engage with our customers on a values basis and how do we engage with the people who are our customers to make sure that we're we're forming a relationship that we want to have them with them for quite a while like you just said with the franchisees they can be in there for, for years and when we have formed relationships with our customers 
Um, if we form relationships with those customers in the right way, they also will be advocates of ours for years and potentially customers, paying customers of ours for a long period of time. So we need to move away from, I've got something that I need to sell to a customer to recognizing that I've got something that's of value to a set of customers. How do I find those customers that really value what I've got? And that is a different, that's a different way of looking at what, how we engage with customers. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. There's a couple of things I observe with businesses when they become successful, and this is individuals and corporates, that they all have a personality, if you like. Or character. But um, number one, you get complacency because they take it for granted. And then you get this, this, what I call the Paul Keating factor, excuse me, Mr. Keating, but it's hubris. It's where they, they begin to portray this all about them. And the customer is no longer relevant. And that applies in the corporate world, applies in public service, and it certainly applies in elements in franchising as well. So uh, have you anything, any, any comments on that? I totally agree with you. Um, I've worked with a number of organisations, small businesses as well, where I go and talk with them about this customer stuff. And we go, let's get a customer straight together, but quite often they're trying to fix sales. And you go into their sales room Okay, they'll put that in inverted commas for everyone on the, on the radio. Um, and they've got up there uh, all these post-it notes and, the, and, and uh, the process of working through sales and all that. And they're just moving pieces of paper and moving one customer from one stage of the selling process to another. Yeah. And um, it's really all about yeah. us inside internal dialogue, um, inside the sales team, inside the business about what we're doing to customers to move them from one step to the next, rather than totally looking at it from, you know, like I said before, if we've got something that's of value and we believe it is of value to a whole range of customers, our challenge is to find those customers that value that stuff. And then we connect with them on our values and then they'll buy what we have because the customer's in charge. We can't... Um, I don't know about you, but any time I go somewhere and someone tries to sell me something and I know they're selling me, and this has happened to me very recently, um, my defences go up. I go, I'm not falling for that old trick from years ago. <laughs> um, I had one fellow talking to me a week or so ago who kept on saying to me, don't you think that's important, Mark? And I was going, yes, Craig, I do think it's important. And then when we get, came to the point where he said, so I'll book you in for that meeting, I said, no, thank you. He couldn't believe it because he was getting yes all the time. And in his sales book, that meant yeah. that he should have got me in for an appointment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He'd been ticking off all the objections <laughs> before you raised them. <laughs> that's, that's what he was doing. And, but these days, people are aware of that stuff. Yeah. Um, anybody tries to convince us of something, um, our resistance goes up, and therefore those old selling methods just do not work anymore. Customers are so much more sophisticated. Um, you know, I've got uh, mature age kids and, you know, often though you'll be talking about something, they'll be online and then within 45 seconds, they'll tell me how many Google reviews that, that uh, services got and what people are saying about them. And it's just totally changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me something, just, just when you're engaged or you're working with a, with a client, um, is there something that you see that's the tipping point when suddenly they get it? It's, it's when we're talking about different types of customers and 
that, that value exchange because they suddenly go, oh, I thought all my customers were pretty much the same. They're all paying the same amount of money. But I've got one customer that's a total pain in the bum and, you know, all this, and they keep on complaining about that. I go, well, you need to change your relationship with that customer because at the moment they're probably costing you a lot in how you service them. Mm. And then they've got other customers and the, the, the biggest curious curiosity out of that for me is, and I'm thinking recently about a business I worked with that was uh, in selling software to a particular trade. And they, um, they, they discovered that their best customers, they hardly ever talk to, right? Because they're, they're happy with them. Yeah. And all of a sudden they went, wow, uh, we're talking to all our cranky customers rather than the ones who really are getting value from the product that we provide. So they started to switch and started to look at their customers that were quiet and talking to them more, understanding the value that they were getting from the product and trying to then shift the customers that were noisy, <clears throat> pardon me, towards being more like the customers that were getting the value. So in other words, if they figured out that uh, a happy customer is happily using their product, not ringing them up or getting help desk service anytime, they discovered that they'd figured out how to do X, Y, and Z in that particular system. Then the other customers, they just try to communicate, hey, other customers are getting value out of our system this way. Have you thought about doing that? And it was adding more value than those customers that had got the value exchange back to front. And it's really quite an astounding thing that quite often our best customers are the ones that we know the least. That's interesting. I'd love to tap into your head. You've got some amazing case studies there. I'm absolutely sure. So just, just moving across to another area of, that you, you specialize in, particularly um, you focus on the performance measurement frameworks and so forth. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about, about that and why that's so relevant? Yeah, so um, I came across, so there's a methodology uh, that I use and it's called PUMP. And PUMP stands for Performance Measurement Process. And it's a method, it's developed by an Australian, Queenslander actually, by the name of Stacey Barr. So it's Stacey with EY and two R's and she's got her own website and she's uh, written extensively and developed this methodology over the last 20 years. So, so that's the method that I use now and I'm a licensed partner for PUMP uh, and I use it across Australasia. Okay, so why do I do that? Uh, when I was in financial services, um, I managed the contact centre for three and a half years and we had data everywhere and we had KPIs everywhere. <laughs> we actually introduced the concept of quarterly KPIs because we would put some KPIs in place and then we would sit back and look at the change of behaviour we get from people and go, wow, we didn't think they'd be doing that. And we started to change in this quarter because we were trying to uh, through a process of trial and error, getting rid of all of these poor behaviours that were coming up. It took us about 18 months or two years to get to a reasonable set of performance measures. So also when I did my MBA, I did two subjects on stats, but didn't learn anything about performance measurement. So Stacey Barr's approach using PUMP, it's an outcomes-based measurement approach. So therefore, what we mainly focus on in our organisations is measuring the activity. We measure actions. We did these actions, tick a box, it's all done. You took this many calls, you made this many sales, all that sort of stuff. And we tend to uh, set targets and measure the activity and set targets on things that are within our control. 
Whereas this performance measurement approach is an outcomes-based approach. So we figure out all the activity that we're doing, well, what is the outcome that we expect from that? So as we said before, if we've got a customer strategy and we expect to put a range of activities in place and the outcome is that the profitability of that customer portfolio improves, then that's the outcome and that's what we would be measuring. So we start to measure outcomes and the impact of the activity rather than just measuring that stuff is done. And it really shifts us towards um, more outcomes-based measuring and therefore looking to where the activity has had influence rather than control and has had impact rather than just done stuff. And um, since I learned that pump methodology about 15 years ago now, I could not go back to my old ways of doing things and I'll use it in everything. So it's an outcomes-based approach, which is very different to what we typically measure in organisations. We've got the P&L sheet, which drives the owner of the business, and yeah. then measuring tasks, task completion. And that there's no connection between those tasks and the financial outcomes that we see in the P&L sheet. But there is a connection between tasks and then the impact those tasks have on a set of outcomes, which drive then financial outcomes for the business. Wow. That's that's another absorbing and interesting area. So as you... I'm just about to wrap up. Is there anything you'd like to add that, that, that come to mind while we've been having this very enjoyable conversation and sharing your thoughts, Mark? Thanks, Brian. Um, anything I'd like to add or share? I just really encourage people to uh, stop thinking about themselves in business, having that inside look at themselves, and try and look at the customer groups and the outcomes that they have with those customer groups and how they can connect with them from that outside in perspective. Because uh, everything that we, the world that we live in now is and the customer is in total control with their Google reviews, with their reviews in any platform, even if it's not just on Google, but with their referrals, their advocacy for us, the way that they spend, the way they don't spend, uh, the way that they complain or drive cost within our businesses, the way the customers interact and behave with us completely drives the success or not of our businesses. And we've got to look at it and understand how we can engage with those customers and influence at that perspective and that level. Wow. So if we want to get some little stickers to plant around the office and in your car, <laughs> it's outside in. Outside in. Yeah. That's the word. Excellent. Okay. Well, if you'd like to, if anyone would like to know a little bit more or contact Mark, um, can you just give us your contact details? Sure. So the uh, best place is my website, which is markhocknell.com. And on that website, uh, there's a blog in there. Uh, there's also a page that's on my book. And on the book page, you can download the first, uh, the intro and the first two chapters for free. And there's also, you can download a whole set of templates so if you want to work through a customer strategy or even see what that customer value map looks like, uh, you can download those things for free. Uh, no sign-up or anything. It's just download them and use them if you can as to your advantage. Uh, therefore, my email address is mark at markhockman.com. Okay. Look, those templates, I think, are worth having a look at without any, any doubt. What a starting place. I'll just, just for the convenience of listeners, um, I'll just mention that Mark's surname is spelled H-O-C-K-N-E-L-L. -L. So markhocknell.com. Okay, well, that's fantastic. 
Um, I've got nothing to add except to say thank you very much. Really enjoyed chatting to you. I think there's probably three or four more topics in there if you want to look at, at the future sometime. But uh, I hope everyone else has enjoyed themselves listening to this. Uh, so uh, I suppose in, in wrapping up, um, thanks very much, Mark. Been great to have you along. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Brian. Um, been, been fun. Good fun. Absolutely. And uh, everybody, look forward to speaking to you uh, when we have our next Franchise Radio show. Thank you.